Good afternoon, Jimmy Kim here, and you're listening to the greatest show on the planet, The Jimmy Kim Show. Today, I'm interviewing Chief Deputy Constable from Harris County, Precinct 5, and former Houston police officer, Brian Harris. And he has a very interesting and fascinating story to tell us today. Stay tuned and be be ready. You're going to be on the edge of your seat today. All right, Brian, we're going to start with background about yourself. I know your story is... There's so much information there, but yeah, give, give our listeners and viewers a brief overview of your life. Sure. Hi. So I actually grew up in New York, so I'm not a native Texan, and uh, I came down to Texas to go to school at Sam Houston State University, where I earned my undergraduate degree in law enforcement and police science. Uh, after graduating, I was a police officer in a small town called Port Aransas, Texas, the beach part of the Corpus Christi area. After a couple of years there, I kind of did my career backwards. I um, uh, went on up to Harris County, Precinct 5, where I met then Sergeant Ted Heap, who is now the Constable Ted Heap. That was a little while ago, right? Yeah, well, 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 yeah almost over 30 years ago. Oh my goodness. And yeah. uh, without knowing Ted Heap, to kind of let you know the kind of man he was, uh, he helped me move. He knew I was new to the town. My wife and I were uh, newlyweds, and we didn't know anybody in Houston, and he wow. helped us move in. So uh, I was forever grateful for that. And after a few years being with uh, Harris County Precinct 5 as a deputy and then a sergeant, I went on to the Houston Police Department to live my dream of being a homicide detective. But I had to work the main streets of Houston first out there in Sunnyside and South Park. And after a couple of years of doing that, uh, I broke into the homicide ranks and I served as a homicide detective and then a homicide sergeant uh, for almost 22 years. And then in 2017, Constable Heap was elected into office and asked me to come and be his chief deputy at Precinct 5. Oh, okay, so that's how your tra transition to the constable's office started? Yes. After uh, Ted got elected? After oh. once Ted Heap was elected, <clears throat> I was a very hot, happy homicide sergeant. I loved my job, loved every day getting up, going to work. I did a lot of teaching and a lot of instructing, but also worked my own cases, but to have an opportunity to work for a person like Ted Heap, whose moral direction uh, is, is so strong, and his vision for Precinct 5 and the residents that of uh, the kind of service he wanted for their law enforcement, uh, I could not pass on that opportunity. So I retired, and my advice to anyone who retires, always retire better, not bitter. And it was a wonderful right. choice and the challenges that Ted and I have been able to achieve so far. And you said that law enforcement has, has and is a passion for you? Law enforcement has, I, I always wanted to be one of two things, either a teacher or a police officer. And fortunately for my career, I've been able to do both. I've combined them both in my journey. Uh, but ever since I was a little boy, maybe watching T.J. Hooker or One Adam 12, old shows, uh, probably long before you were even a thought, Jimmy. Um, <laughs> the, uh, those kind of shows, Hill Street Blues, I've always been fascinated in law enforcement. And uh, I, I can say, whatever you choose to do in life, make sure you're passionate about it. Right. And I chose my passion, and I love what I do. It's a great career. Very nice, yeah, especially for the 
some of the, the activities that you've been assigned to. They're not the, for the faint of heart. And the listeners and viewers are going to hear more about that here in a bit. And it's funny how uh, Ted, he actually, he helped you move. Because m- most people, like when I call them and ask them, like, hey, can you help me move? They don't answer the phone. <laughs> you, <laughs> but Ted you, did the opposite. You know, there's an old saying, and also being a former homicide cop, uh, there's an old saying, a good friend will help you move, but a best friend will help you move the body. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. And that's very interesting. I'm I'm also glad that you ended up coming here to Texas. So uh, you pretty much came here as fast as you could. And and you like Texas? I love Texas. Uh, uh, I love the individual freedoms. Uh, I love the fact that Texas embraces its independence, its history, and that uh, uh, truly still believes and hold on to the ideals of of the American way, that anybody can make it. Anybody in this state, in this nation can make it. Right. And as per your advice, as long as you find something you're passionate about and be consistent, right? Right. Absolutely. You got to love what you do. Right. All right. Next, we're going to go into some of the intricacies and details of the, the assignments that you had uh, per department that you worked at. If you want to start more with what you did at HPD. Sure. With when the Houston I, Police Department. HPD, uh, Houston Police Department. Um, when I was assigned to the Houston Police Department, my, I did my patrol time in South Park, Sunnyside, which is out there by the Astrodome area. Um, but very quickly, I was able to break the ranks into homicide. And uh, what I did with that was, as a young detective, I was assigned to the evening shift, and I would work child deaths, officer-involved shootings, murders, uh, and also, we were assigned assaults, aggravated assaults. Uh, every Monday, we were given 10 assault cases. And uh, so our caseload was vast. Um, and I learned from some of the best folks that there were. I was very blessed to have people much older than me. And when I reflect right. on it now, they were probably my age now. So I guess I'm the old guy now. <laughs> but I was able to learn from their wisdom. So you had some pretty good mentors while you were working at that department? I had excellent mentors. Right. and, and that's that's what I would suggest to anybody. Always find somebody, uh, find that mentor, and and stay in touch with them, and uh, let them bring you along. Let them share their wisdom uh, with you, and listen. The big thing was that I listened, and I think that's why I was successful. Right. And that part of town you were assigned to. What part, geographically speaking, what part of Houston is that? So is it north, east, south, west? Well, some people may not be as familiar with that. Sure. Those, when I worked patrol i was assigned to the southeast southeast section of houston uh however in homicide uh basically you work wherever the body drops and i don't mean to say that to be crass but uh it's a call out system so if there are five people on call and each person has a partner uh, and you're first out you get the first dead body wherever that body may be. If you're third out, you'll get the third dead body, wherever that is. And it just keeps rotating like that. Okay. So, and, and once again, that can be in anywhere in, in the greater Houston area. Anywhere in the city limits of Houston as a, as a city of Houston right. uh, police officer or okay. detective. Okay. All right. Next, can you tell us more about your role as a constable right now, as the chief deputy constable at Precinct 5? 
When Constable Heap asked me to come over, one of the visions he's had was that his deputies would do more than just answer report calls. He wanted to bring that investigative training to his department because it was his belief that as the patrol officers are answering calls, every single person, whether it's a potted plant or whether it's your mother's uh, wedding ring that has been passed on through generations, every crime is important to that individual victim. So he wanted to bring over, bring that investigative level and training to their deputies, and we created something called the Uniformed Investigative Deputies, uh, which were simply the visibility of the uniform, the investigative skills of a detective, combine those both, and therefore provide follow-up on every single case that a Precinct 5 deputy reports on. Okay, so essentially it's an, it's a, it's an officer that has more versatility. You know, Jimmy, some, some people in small towns that are listening, um, right. small town police departments, 10, 20 man police departments would say, we call that police work. Oh, because they already have to do all that. <laughs> they already have to do it. But unfortunately, in a big city, big metropolitan area, right. uh, people are so specialized that the officer gets used to just going call to call, answering calls for right. service, and filling in blanks on a report call. Um, where we wanted to bring uh, Ted off and kids, but uh, he says uh, we want to bring the small town feel back into the big city. And so that was the idea behind not only will we have detectives in uniform that are able to provide the visibility and investigative skills, right. but it would catch on. Let's train our deputies as well. So when a deputy responds to a burglary call on, let's say today, we expect them within the next day or two to follow up with that victim right. and see if anything, if they had any more information. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm, from an objective viewpoint, from an outsider's perspective, I think that's a great uh, way to operate. And I'm not just saying that because I'm your friend or Ted's friend, <laughs> but it it provides more thoroughness, it, it's, more effectiveness. It's truly uh, a full service. Um, right. Uh, uh, more than just an officer coming out and taking a report because many times because of the way crime has been especially here lately uh, if you have a quote minor crime see it, it may be minor in the eyes of maybe some of the city and county leaders or nonviolent but that's a big deal to that individual homeowner you know right. that that bicycle stolen that's a big deal and, and I think that's what precinct 5 and constable heap and 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 to the credit of our men and women in our department, they're able to bring that that sense that, you know what, your bicycle's important and it's important to us too. And so we're gonna track down those people who stole that bicycle. Yes, and that's good philosophy to operate by. But I totally agree with that. To that individual, yeah. Any crime com committed, whether little or big, yeah, it's it's a crime. Yeah. They need to be it needs to be investigated and taken care of. Next, tell us about some of the – so you've been in quite uh, numerous times in media appearances and shows, and tell us about that experience and kind of the segments that you've done. 
Well, sure. So I'm sure some of my former co-workers would be laughing at this section because sometimes they would dub me as Hollywood Harris. Oh, really? Uh, <laughs> I hope they're all tuning in right now and listening. <laughs> on the Jimmy Kim show. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I've had some very high-profile murders over the year that right. garnered uh, some national attention. And also with Katrina, uh, I, I kind of helped organize the strategy in how to fight the rise in homicides, 29% uh, at that time. And so... It started off on lo some local appearances, some uh, national appearances, uh, but more importantly on, on primetime and also 2020, they featured some of my uh, interviewing techniques. And then from there, it seemed as though um, uh, many shows started calling after that from forensic files to uh, killer confessions to nurses who kill and all this crazy stuff that one if you follow A&E or Discovery or or uh, True TV or any kind of television where if you're into true crime and that's what you like to watch uh, I've been featured on many of those shows which eventually led to uh, being on Inside the Mind of the Serial Killer season two serving as the homicide expert for season two which used to be on Netflix. Very nice and now you're here. <laughs> now I'm here with the, most, with the most famous Jimmy Ken, Ken. so this is the, uh, the, the, the this is the pinnacle of my career. <laughs> that's interesting. You certainly earned that name, the Hollywood Harris. I wasn't aware of that, but that's really cool. <laughs> so you're here for a reason. It, I, it was meant to be, right, Brian? Yeah, that's it. That's right. Next, let's go into some more details about. So you're uh, as a law enforcement officer. He is. So the listeners and viewers need to know this, but I'm actually interviewing today the professional interviewer and interrogator as a law enforcement officer and in, uh, investigator as well. So if you can tell us more about uh, those roles that you had within your career as a p law enforcement officer as well. Sure. So when I was a young, red-haired uh, homicide detective with a baby, baby face, um, uh, the first couple of homicides that I had, uh, I could talk to people out on the street and I would get them inside the interview room and I would be extremely nervous and nobody would talk to me. And one of my first partners shared with me something that I carried with me and he said, you got to crack the window to your soul just a little bit and they'll throw theirs wide open. And what he was getting at was relationship building. You got to build relationships fairly quickly in that interview room where they can't see you as a cop they got to see you as a person and so i was able to do that and then over the years develop techniques that i was able to pass on to other uh, detectives and eventually created an interview school for the houston police department which um, it, to this day actually in september i'm putting it on for area law enforcement oh, i nice. still share uh, those techniques that I have with pictures of Chris on the wall making pancakes, Chris with his dad, you know, all these family moments, you see, because I was so young at the time, I was trying to be a tough guy, you know, just get along with these old right. homicide detectives, and, and, uh, and I never thought of the victim aspect. It was all about me at that point. And so as she walked me out to the car, she held my hand and she closed it really, really tight. And when she looked at me, she tapped my hand, and this is decades 
before Blue Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter, All Lives Matter, and everything that you hear today. Right. And she squeezed my hand and she looked at me and she said, my son mattered, you know. And I said, yes, ma'am. And she squoze tighter. She said, my son mattered. And I said, yes, ma'am. And I never forgot that day. It really sank in because I realized at that particular moment, all of us, you, me, that hijacker out there, that crackhead, we all have three things in common. We all want to be loved, we all want to be respected, and we all want the ability to take care of the ones that love and respect us. The differences in life are the choices that we make to either achieve those three things or protect those three things. And once I developed that mindset, I was able to have much more successful interviews. I was able to make that connection in the interview room, and I've been trying to uh, uh, spread that knowledge and, and et cetera to other officers, not only in this area, but uh, around the nation. And internationally as well? And internationally. I've done some international training as well. Very good. Yeah, I hope they learn as much as they can from you, take it to heart, and then apply it where they can be as effective as possible in, in their job. Thank you. Can you discuss with us some of the accolades, commendation, and awards you've gotten throughout your law enforcement career as well? Oh, gosh. Uh, I know you've gotten a lot. <laughs> it's been a bunch. of uh, uh, Several for different cases, uh, chief of police commendations, et cetera. Um, but one of the more satisfying awards was a governor's award from the state of Texas, uh, um, uh, Governor Perry, for uh, – professional uh, for it was called professional achievement which at the time there's only about 17 officers that w get recognized uh, by the state of Texas every year for that award and it's based on not just doing something heroic but based on creating implementing something new and and uh, then it being adopted and and so my interviewing school was one of those things that was recognized and so I'm very proud of that um, which by chance, uh, Constable Heap also got the same award years later for creating the Animal Cruelty Task Force. So it was something, you gotta create something new and it's gotta be adapted by law enforcement. And so that's one of the awards I was very proud of. Very nice, well congratulations on that. Thank yeah, I've you. met Rick, he's a nice guy. Do you want to discuss any other awards that you've gotten? Because oh, I, no, I know there's no, so no, many, but that's fine. pretty it's much the highlight. That, that would probably be one of the more uh, right, uh, right. better of the highlights. Um, the others were a lot of team events from right. uh, the LTC, La Tessera Crips investigation. We did a 5-9 bounty hunter investigation that killed a Houston police officer back in game four of the World Series in 2005 um, to the MS-13 investigation, working with a great team of detectives. Um, so w when I look back at those certificates and things, it, it's not so much uh, the looking at the accomplishments, it's looking at, when I look at the talent, every year we have a homicide luncheon uh, for everyone who's retired plus current ones, and I'm just in awe at the talent in that room and the things we've all seen. And so when I look at those awards, it, it, it brings back memories of the very talented people that I worked with. Right, and I wanna thank you for your service as well as everybody at Precinct 5, the department, and all the law enforcement actually in the country. Thank you for your service, and we will uh, continue to support you in however way we can, and whether it's getting a, a leadership person on air so he can share a story, Next,
Brian, let's talk about the current state of law enforcement in the United States and your thoughts about that. Sure. So, uh, first of all, we appreciate that, Jimmy. Um, uh, in the Houston area, I will say this, uh, law enforcement in general, uh, we receive so much support from the general public, and it's just not the story that one would, would, would believe if they were to watch the general media. Right. Um, it's kind of like congressmen, right? We all talk about term limits. We should move, move congressmen after so many times, but when it comes to actual voting, people in those districts, they love their particular congressmen. Well, it's the same way in law enforcement. They can talk about all those other cops, but don't mess with our neighborhood cop. And that, whether it's HPD or whether it's Precinct 5 or the Sheriff's Department, the officers out on the street, the areas that they patrol, they are loved. They are very much loved and taken care of. However, nationally, there seems to be this narrative of an anti-law enforcement. And unfortunately, a lot of times, it's the leaders, it's the city leaders, government leaders that have defunded law enforcement, defunded police, have made decisions based on ideologies instead of realities. And because of that, law enforcement has suffered. We have suffered in the ranks of recruiting. We have uh, an aged profession where many people are retiring. And it's a matter of we're all fighting for, the, for those few fish that are left in the bowl, whether it's the city or the county, Precinct 5. We're all fighting for that uh, small pool of applicants to try to get them to be part of each of our teams because unfortunately because of the legalistic society we're in now as a young person or a person that can choose to retire they have to weigh their options is this really what's best for my family now I would hope they would choose law enforcement because I think it's an honorable career I have no regrets and even in today's environment today's young officer has to be smarter they have to be in better shape they have a much healthier outlook where they don't get consumed so much by the job that they have a much healthier outlook on friends and family. So the ones that stay, it's a great career. To those who complain about society, complain about the issues out there, be part of our team. Be part of the solution. Quit your complaining. Get out from eating your bag of Cheetos and dipping your Oreo cookies. And even if you're a double dunker, get off the couch, right. get down to whatever law enforcement agency there is. And if you have the stones and if you have the ability to pass a background check and you're willing to physically and mentally go through a training process, we'd love for you to be part of our team because that's where the solutions are going to come from. That's the future. So quit your complaining and be part of the solution. I like that. So remember, viewers and listeners, they are hiring law enforcement agencies across the country. They're hiring. They're looking for good people like you. So remember that if you're if something happens to what you're doing right now. But yeah, I, I like that solution, Brian, as to how we can change the direction of what's happening right now around the country with uh, law enforcement agencies. And I feel like that that to increase the numbers. Yeah, that is the best way to get the message across. Tell people how it is. It, a honorable thing to do and it is a good career path because a lot of that sometimes is not communicated in in other forms of media out fun. there think about it 
you get to chase bad guys, bad girls. But you know what? You right. do get to make a difference in the world. You know, there, there's many people that always say, uh, I wish I could change the world. You know what? Being a cop, you get to change the maybe not the whole world, but you have a drastic impact on one person's life. Absolutely. And every person matters Everybody and makes a matters. difference. So the next question is, we've sometimes in the media there are portrayals of incidents involving police officers where sometimes they make accidents or sometimes they may have not had sufficient training where something bad happens and then those police officers, they get portrayed negatively. But at the same time, that doesn't mean that all the police officers in the nation are bad people or insufficiently trained as well. Can you share with us your thoughts about that? Sure. So when you see things on the news uh, and it's story after story after story, it's because they're focusing on the, uh, on the negative. What they don't focus on is uh, that officer who has had to uh, solve problems such as uh, a domestic fight, um, and they're constantly going out to this one house, and they realize it's because, and I'll just call him Frank, and, and they realize because Frank, you know what? Frank goes out and he drinks too much, and Frank uh, then wakes up late and gets fired from a job, and his wife gets angry because it's another job and another job. But then a bunch of cops say, you know what? Instead of keep going out there after the fact, let's go to Frank's house at 4.30 in the morning, make sure he's awake, and they wake Frank up, and now he goes to a job, and now he's bringing in money, and now his wife and he don't no, no longer have those family fights. And it, it's that's one example of a small problem that officers might have to deal with, or it's buying school supplies for children, or it's intervening, um, uh, offering advice. You know, I, I often tell our young officers, I said, remember, uh, three things. You're not that good looking because you throw on this uniform, there's a lot of temptation that goes your way, and that's why you need that solid foundation of good training, a good faith life, I believe, and, and good mentors. Because you take that uniform off, you go back to that 7-Eleven or whatever store it is, see if that store clerk or that waitress even recognizes you, right? right. So we remind them, you're not that good looking. Are you really that smart? Because you're 21, 22, 23 years old, and you're going to have people twice your age, three times your age, at the most chaotic time in their life, asking you for advice. And you got to reflect back and remember, you're not that smart. You haven't been on this world long enough, right? So you just got to remain humble, you know? And the third question that we always throw at officers are, if you get hurt or injured in the line of duty, are you and your family are killed, well taken care of? And if the answer to that, see, I'm going back to that recruiting question. Right. If the answer to that is no, then don't apply to that agency. Right. But I can assure you, at least in the Houston, Harris County area, particularly Precinct 5, that answer would be yes. Because when you work for Precinct 5, you join a family of 400 plus people, right? And the Houston Police Department, 5,000 plus. Sheriff's Office, 3,000 plus. It, 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 is a, it, it is a brotherhood and a sisterhood. It's not a code of silence, it's about honor. When you see that blue line on a flag, that blue line does not represent us versus them. Absolutely it's not. Everything yeah. right. above the blue line are the people who have chosen to follow the law and be good, productive citizens. And that blue line stands there protecting you from those who live under the law or who believe they live outside the law. 
So next time somebody sees that blue line flag, it's not just about police, it's what it represents. And it's not us versus them. That blue line represents the protection, the oath, the honor, and the willing that we as police officers are willing to sacrifice our lives for a complete stranger. Right. That's very enlightening. I didn't even know that that's what that meant. The, the next thing is I, one way we can battle misrepresentation or misbetrayal of law enforcement is improving community relations with the police officers and police departments, correct? And I've actually seen Precinct 5 try to do some activities to be able to offer that. Do you also see that as a good solution to, to kind of bridge the community to the, the agencies where they actually, in some cases, may know the first name of the, the officers that are in charge of certain departments? And, they can, and when they need help with something, they can just simply call the department. The community definitely has to be plugged into the law enforcement agency that patrols or takes care of their area. Right. Uh, for instance, we have a program called CHAPA, Constable Chaplain Pastor Alliance. And this is uh, Constable Heap's vision where uh, we have a deputy that networks with pastors in the area. And the main point there is to develop relationships with those pastors to offer an avenue for relationship building with the youth very and nice. various congregations to build trust. And on the flip side, to bring, when I talked about those young officers that haven't been on the world too much, the right. idea is also to, to bring that wisdom and the calmness uh, of the pastors and have them interact with our deputies to bring that wisdom to them. They're not cops, but they certainly, you know, cops and pastors and priests, uh, you know, I, I often say that uh, we all fight and combat evil. We don't get to wear capes, right? right. Uh, uh, we just uh, uh, wear different uniforms, per right. se. We have different callings. And so they're able to bring their wisdom to our officers as well. So we have the CHOPPA program, which is great. We have RAD. Uh, you also do coffee with the cop. Oh, I've seen those at restaurants. Oh, it's great. Uh, I love that. And yeah. I've actually a, been to one. And, and it's not a <laughs> department, but they're, they're all over. Many departments Oh, they, have they that. do that Co for other departments. Coffee with a cop. Yeah, I love and, that. Uh, yeah. You know, people can sit down and just, just have coffee with a police officer. Right. You know, We're, we, we'll talk to you. You know? Oh, yeah. Um, uh, cops love to talk. It's kind of like fishermen, right? We tell our stories, and it's like a big fish story. But right. um, and, no. and as long as there's coffee and donuts, remember. That's right. That's, <laughs> well, you know what? We're in this new age of the millennial policeman, right? And so we're, we're at a department and uh, doing a presentation, and they had coffee and donuts, but it was young officers. And the, and they didn't touch any of the donuts. Only oh, the gray no hairs did. <laughs> they, were, they, were waiting, they were waiting on their celery sticks. Oh, donuts, right? So. So, uh, I would have went for the donut. <laughs> but uh, we have all kinds. Actually, Precinct 5 has 38 community programs, which are absolutely free to the public, even if we don't service your area. Um, okay. That from crime prevention to uh, Hero Read, where we put cops in schools and, and they read stories. and uh, Or we can go out to your area and we're launching. Uh, we have... A, Citizens Teen Academy, where we're embedded in the Spring Branch School District and Harmony Schools, where it's a 12-week program where they get exposed to aspects of law enforcement. But the main magic that happens there isn't so much the exposure to law enforcement, it's the relationship building 
that takes place. And that's what all these programs are designed to do, is to build that trust, but also that communication. Right. Yeah, I have a personal anecdote on that, because ever since I was pretty young, police officers were my friends. I don't know, it's, it's just kind of been part of my life. And from there on, I knew that, yeah, these are really good people. They're just like our neighbor or our family member. So just because, like I said, there's some media outlets out there that portray them in, in some other way, for my life, I knew it was never true. Because I, I befriended police officers since I was very young. And that's how I knew. You know what? So it was all about that, what you just said, the, creating those relationships. Because if that were not there, maybe something would be different, even from my opinion. But I had that, that exposure Correct. to good police officers throughout, like I said, since I was very young. Well, you know, that, that just solidif solidifies what I was talking about earlier about that we all want to be loved, respected, and take care of the ones that love and respect us. And that's the same goes for police officers, right? Oh, absolutely. We, we yeah. Your people as well. Children. Yeah, right. so I appreciate that. Thank you. Tell us, uh, I know that you have a consultancy business as well that you do outside of your, your job at the, as a constable. Can you tell us about that as well? Sure. So there's a lot of police officers and law enforcement that supplement their income by either road jobs, the guys that you see directing traffic or, or in front of a building at certain events, etc. Um, I was never one to really do that. However, what I did want to do was uh, expand and uh, share my knowledge with others. So I used my teaching ability and there are departments across the nation that have hired me to come out and um, I gotta burn vacation time and comp time and all kinds of time. Uh, so it's on my own time, but I right. go out and I consult with those agencies, either creating investigative units or more importantly, the agencies that would love to have some kind of interviewing uh, skills. I just got back from El Paso and out in El Paso, Texas, I taught them child death and officer-involved shooting and basic homicide and then uh, a couple of days of interviewing. So that is what I do. People hire me as a consultant to come out or as an instructor to come out and uh, speak. Okay, and you do that international or across the country? You'll be willing to go to other states as well? Oh, I would be more than willing to travel to other states. Um, okay. uh, right now, I've pretty much have gone to, I've been to Florida and Arkansas and New Mexico and Texas. I would love to break into the uh, Northeast, and okay. uh, there's plenty of agencies that I think could benefit from the training. Maybe back to New York? I would love to, get back to <laughs> always. My mom's still up there. She's 89 years old, and uh, oh. so uh, I would love to be able to get back up there to see her. And what about uh, internationally as well? Uh, internationally, In it's been kind of uh, slow. We were dealing with um, the trans-border investigators, so uh, we were dealing with investigators from Mexico and Honduras and El Salvador, Colombia, uh, but over the last few years, um, that, that has kind of slowed up and that that has stopped not just because of COVID but because of the inner turmoil and okay. unfortunately some of the people that helped arrange that training are no longer with us because they've been uh, murdered uh, killed by various different cartels right right okay all right so if, if there's any listeners out there that are the head of their agencies across the country remember we have Brian Harris here that can help you improve your departments in interrogation, interviewing, and investigative duties. Is that correct? Those yeah. are your three 
sure. top levels of skill expertise. Is that correct? Yes, interviewing and uh, investigative classes, absolutely. Yeah, because I feel like, I mean, I know that law enforcement agencies across the country are already doing well, but in any industry, any business, even public service institutions, there's always room for improvement. And I feel like uh, with somebody with the amount of expertise and experience as you, they can certainly benefit from those types of services. I mean, it all comes back to any, any way that the communities can be safer for our families and you know, businesses. Absolutely, the training and, and the training, and, yes. And, and the one thing that I'd like to point out is uh, the people, at least in the Houston Harris County area, should be very proud. Uh, oftentimes, you go outside the state of Texas, and they might look at us as a bunch of rednecks, things like that. It's one; it's just not true. We are so far ahead of the game, so far ahead of the game compared to what I would call your progressive cities of Chicago and New York and L.A. Um, uh, incidences like what happened in George Floyd, well, I would never be foolish enough to say that could never happen here. Uh, the simple training, I would be very shocked if it ever did. I mean, it, it, it's a new concept to many about intervening. Um, that's been our policy for a long time. Of course you should intervene, if you see, especially when you see an officer's misconduct. Right. You're obligated. You took an oath. You have to intervene, and, and that's been trained in. As far as recognizing the signs of delirium with drug overdoses, uh, of what to do, uh, we've been dealing with that since uh, the late 1990s, the mid-1990s. We would never hogtie somebody or have them on their stomach. Um, it's just physically uh, would increase that whole effects of the overdose and the delirium that's taken place. So so the training that this areas have had, not just from me, I'm a whole host of folks in this area, Texas in general, but the Houston-Harris County area, they're way ahead of the game than many cities across the nation. Well, I'm very glad and I'm very happy to hear that. And a lot of the, that's probably good news for a lot of the listeners and viewers as well, because they may not have that information. So this is really big news currently going on around the world. What are your, do you have any thoughts about what's going on in Afghanistan? I know this doesn't really pertain to law enforcement, <laughs> but just something that's going on in the world. I'm sure you're aware the Taliban has pretty much taken back control of the country. Well, sure. So as a law enforcement officer, we've, we've taken an oath to protect those who can't protect themselves. Right. right? And uh, in Afghanistan, we've lost uh, thousands of uh, United States soldiers trying to improve the lives of the Afghan people. While I'm hearing that the Afghan people didn't have the will to fight, um, I think there must have been a better way than to just completely abandon people where we're seeing things that are reminiscent of Vietnam. Uh, our nation is better than that. Where is the planning, the tactical planning? If that was a Houston police, Precinct 5, Harris County operation, we would have anticipated those kinds of problems. And you make sure you have the right number of personnel, the right number of firepower in place, and they should have, instead of having the soldiers evacuate first, then the civilians, they should have massive soldiers around that airport or in that town and make sure everybody who deserved our respect, who, who served for us, the Afghan folks who translated, uh, our civilian workers, it was our obligation and duty to get them out safely. So somewhere 
somebody we dropped the ball. Right. All right, we're going to wrap it up, Brian, with the last question. I always wrap, finish it up with this. Three tips for our listeners and viewers to be successful in life. Three tips, successful in life. Your uh, best tips. Treat people with dignity and respect. Uh, don't stay out after midnight. Nothing good happens. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and the third thing is uh, truly be kind. Life is too short and there's so many wonderful things to enjoy in this world life is pretty terrific and don't lose sight of that all right and then my message is to make brian's job easier than all the law enforcement personnel across the country is be a good citizen that's, that's it. great that's it <laughs> that's the only that's advice it. i have so all right we're, gonna, we're wrapping up the show today to all those listeners and viewers out there thank you so much for tuning in to the jimmy kim show we will see you next monday 12 to 1. Have a great day. Bye.